Thank you for joining us. This is Paul Wilson, and you're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Guys, I know we were planning to have on a little bit more drag race uh, topics today, kind of to fill in with our eighth mile diesel performance podcast draggy competition. However, plans are fluid, so so we had to move that interview back to next week. But in place of that, I got some really, really cool content for you. We have a special guest on the show, uh, Dylan. Dylan is our senior machinist over here at Calibrated Power, home of Duramax Tuner. How the hell are you? Fantastic. <laughs> now, Dylan, uh, give our listeners a little bit of your background here with the company uh, and tell us a little bit about what you do here in, in the machine shop. Yeah, so doing tool and die work and stuff like that. So I worked at a job shop, um, you know, worked with a lot of different things, never really cast irons and stuff till we came here. Um, yeah, ever since I've got into this role, I've been... You know, we took a lot of the old cuts and everything. We've kind of redeveloped a lot of new stuff, uh, tighter tolerances, you know, just a lot of, uh, you know, new improvements here. So. Okay, yeah. I mean, over in the machine shop, you guys are building our Stealth Turbo line. Right. Uh, so so we've seen that line exist, God, since like 2014 or something like that. Uh, and, and over the years, we've seen even like the Stealth 64, the LB7 Stealth 64, the original Stealth Turbo that's had some development over time so that's not the exact same turbo in 2020 as it was back in like 2015 right uh so when you talk about tighter tolerances wh- what is that how does that impact somebody who's buying the turbo what does that mean for for the end user right so you're getting better drivability uh better you know smoke control different things um you know performance you're getting a lot better performance so you're not it's not laggy you know, everything's just really flowing, you know, perfect through these turbos. Um, you know, with over time, we kind of figure out more things. We get, you know, warranties to come back every now and then, and we take a look at them, and we can take that and grow from there and learn more and figure out, all right, what can we do from, you know, this point? Why did this fail? Is it something that we did? Is it something on their side? And then we kind of take that and just keep growing off of it. So, you know, from that, we've taken, you know, we've taken on, especially with the whole set, lots of different cuts. Um you know, opening up different pieces inside the turbo just for more, more air, better airflow. I mean, it's just it seems like you know we've really came a long way from what it started off as. Absolutely, man. Absolutely, and and we can see it. You know, as the as that line of products has become more and more popular, and more and more guys are running the stealth turbo. It's also meant more development and more R and D into new products, and that's one of the reasons I yeah. wanted to bring you on today. Uh, we just released a video over at Duramax Tuner talking about the L5P Stealth Turbo development. And you are somebody who's been directly involved on that project, I would say probably heading that project up. Uh, I was wondering if you could just share with our podcast listeners a little bit about that turbo and that that development process. Yeah, so that one, you know, with it being a Borg Warner Turbo now, everything that we had is just, you know, it's a new whole new beginnings <laughs> so it's uh it's been you know really interesting from the vein cage coming in you know we had a lot of different you know just figuring out how we're going to make this work what we're going to do you know everybody else is well you know there's other people that come out with things just putting a compressor wheel in and you know up sure upgrading the turbine size a little bit but you know in order to follow the true you know like 67 just the you know stealth series fashion we're trying to make her you know make her right <laughs> so, yeah, throwing the uh, bigger vein cage in, you know, figuring out the ways that we can, you know, basically take this thing to the whole next level. So, 
Yeah. Now the vein cage is something I want to talk about specifically because I I don't know of any other turbos that have a vein cage as opposed to a unison ring and some veins. So if you've ever looked inside of a variable vein or variable geometry turbo, it generally has these little uh, kind of teardrop shaped uh, fins mm -hmm. inside of it that direct exhaust flow uh, on the turbine side. So on the exhaust side of your turbo, there's then generally an actuator of some sorts on the outside of the turbo. That's controlled most often electronically, I think always electronically, uh, and that, that'll actually adjust the unison ring, which will shift the the opening that those little teardrop shapes kind of allow. So yeah. it increases or decreases exhaust flow around the turbine wheel. Yeah. Um, the, the L5P kind of took that to the next level. So we've seen veins change over time from the factory, right? Like the the original 04 and a half in a Duramax, uh, when they put veins in that turbo compared to the veins that look like in an LML, they, they look different. You can see they, they played with the size, they played with the depth, they played yeah. with how many veins come in it. But the L5P turbo threw us for a total loop. Oh, yeah. That was a, that was a whole new everything, pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah, so from, you know, kind of like you've said, the LOYs, that's, you know, your biggest, thickest, tallest vein, and then all the way to the LMLs now, which is actually the shortest. So it seems as though, you know, they keep trying to get smaller when we're trying to get bigger. We want more flow, right. better flow. I mean, we're, you know, when you're pushing the horsepower up that much, you know, just need more air. Yeah. So that's 100% what we're going after. I love that, yeah. Yeah, so, so the L5P, instead of having a single unison ring, it kind of has like almost two unison rings one yeah th there's a, a flat plate i guess you would say on the top and bottom or front and back of the veins mm -hmm. so they all sit inside of there and they're all fixed into this cage so when you guys were developing that are you modifying a factory cage did you guys have to actually design test and cut and manufacture an entire cage pack so i mean yeah you're basically just blowing the whole thing up yeah so yeah, once you get there, I mean, you get the bigger sizes, bigger dimension on everything, making sure that it all works just like the stock one. And then you got to put it in the turbine or the turbine housing. Once you got it in there, you know, that's kind of where you want to make sure that, all right, so now we have this moving part together, this part together. Now we got to take the turbine, put the turbine in there, make sure that everything's lining up with that perfectly. We keep same tolerances the whole way through out the backside of the turbo. So, you know, now that you got that and yeah, like you said, with it being kind of a whole assembly is just, you know, it makes it something else. You're adding all these different uh, procedures into it, different stuff. It's yeah, yeah. a whole yeah. different journey. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's a very involved part. Um, something we didn't discuss in the video is exactly where we're at in the development process and what's went well and, and where have been some of the challenges. And I don't want to get too far into that and give away any secrets, uh, but I know for a fact we're actually into the fitment stage where, where we've developed these parts, we've started to do test fitments on these parts, and we're actually starting to see a prototype get fairly close. Is that accurate? Yes. Yep. Yeah, we've, uh, you know, I've got everything fixtured, set up, programmed. I mean, it's, yeah, it's all been fit. So <laughs> now we're, uh, we're waiting on a couple other parts and, you know, different things like the compressor side. So that's posing some new challenges as well, kind of making sure that we have the right compressor wheel to the turbine wheel. You know, we don't want to overdo one side to the other, and it's just, you know, you're taking away from the performance that you're going to get out of there. So gotcha. now that we're kind of getting the turbine side, which is going to be the difficult, you know, that's where we're really putting most of our focus. So, yeah. 
yeah, once, uh, yeah, we've, you know, everything's been set up, cut for that. Uh, yeah, moving on from there. I love it, man. Yeah, we're getting excited. Uh, and, and guys, along with turbos, we always end up talking about all of the other parts that go into a turbo build. So if you're at home listening to this and you're thinking, man, I might be ready for a turbo upgrade, you have a lot of options out there. Now, if you want a stock appearing charger uh, and one of our stealth work turbos will work, hey, we'd love to talk to you about that. You can get a hold of Chris Emke. He's 815-568-7920. His extension is 2121. Uh, I'll give him the plug today since he wasn't able to make it into the show with us, but that's okay. Uh, for the rest of you, if you're looking at options, you might be thinking about twin turbo kits that you can talk to WC Fab about or S400 or S300 installs. You might also be thinking, man, now that I got this turbo, I have all of all of this extra air. Most factory fuel systems tap out around 600, maybe 580, maybe 620, but around 600 horse. So if you want to go over that, you can throw all the turbo on earth at it you're going to need more fuel. And for us, when we go to look for more fuel in our trucks, we always talk to XRG Performance. We know we're going to get the same great quality products in a consistent, reliable manner every single time. And that that's why we work with both of those companies. Uh, for today, Dylan, I know you probably got a chance to watch the Diesel Insights we did with Nick talking about turbo efficiency. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so so it, it's a great video. We do the Diesel Insights videos over at the Duramax Tuner YouTube channel. It's a chance for Nick, Tim, any of the other guys here to really get on and just kind of share some knowledge. So it's really not about any specific product. It's just a, a topic about diesel that we feel more people should know about. Uh, so the one of the most recent ones we did was on turbo efficiency, and I think we called it Turbo Island. If not, we should have because that's an awesome title. Uh, so today, you guys are going to get a chance to hear from Nick Pregnant talking about turbo efficiency and turbo mapping. There are quite a few visual components to this. I know that. I know that this is an audio medium, believe it or not. Uh, so I would strongly, strongly encourage you jump over to the Duramax Tuner YouTube channel and make sure you actually watch that video so you get to see all the cool stuff that goes along with it. Uh, for right now, this has been Paul Wilson. Thank you so much for listening. I'll hand it over to Nick. Hi, I'm Nick Pregnance with DuramaxTuner.com. Today on Diesel Insights, we're going to look at a compressor efficiency graph, and we're going to talk about the sensors that your truck comes equipped with from the factory. And we're going to see how those things work together to maintain drivability, to drive performance, to keep the truck reliable and clean. Let's rock and roll. For every turbocharger on the market, one of these compressor efficiency graphs could be drawn or is already in existence. What is this thing? Well, it's a little daunting. It's got a lot of numbers on it, but let's go over the basics here. On the bottom, we have airflow. So that is how much air the engine is consuming, how much air goes through the turbocharger in pounds per minute. So that is the mass of the air that goes through the turbocharger. Left-hand side pressure ratio. You can loosely correlate this to boost. So as pressure ratio goes up, boost goes up. The more you compress air, things change dynamically. The more air you move, things change dynamically. This graph right here is the graph of those efficiencies. And on that graph are also some shaft speeds that are worth noting. All right, now let's look at the graph. A little daunting. I want to draw your attention to the center here, the center island. There's a 76 on that. What does 76 mean? Well, 76 is 76% 76 efficient. Whenever you compress air, you can't do it perfectly. So as you 
beat that air into submission with your compressor. You're going to add heat to it. You're going to add turbulence to it. You're going to add more heat than would ideally be added to the air. Even if you could perfectly compress air, you would still add heat to it. Ideal gas law. Anytime you add pressure, you add heat. This is how much extra heat you're going to add. So 76% is your, is your best, best case scenario. As you move more air, so as you go to the right or the left, move more or less air, you come off of that efficient island. And when you see these numbers start to drop, that means that to operate the turbocharger there, you're going to add more heat and it's going to cost you more horsepower. Because in order to beat that air into submission, in order to operate the compressor at that level, it takes more drive pressure from the more drive energy from the turbine, and it's going to make that that air that's being compressed uh, it's less ideal. So, as we go to the right, we're going to add more and more heat per unit of boost per unit of air mass that we're moving, and as we can continue to get all the way out to the end of this thing, as we really ramp up boost and we really ramp up airflow, you can see 60% efficient. So significantly less efficient than the ideal gas law. 16% less efficient than on our perfect island right here. So anytime you're operating the turbocharger in less than ideal circumstances, you're going to get less than ideal results. It's going to cost you extra horsepower. It's going to be harder on the truck. It's just something we want to avoid. Now that we've covered that, let's look at these intersecting lines that I've drawn in pink. 150,000 RPM. So these are shaft speed lines. So at these boost pressures, and these airflow numbers, these air mass numbers, the compressor is going to be reliably spinning at this shaft speed. And this, this can all be plotted and it's all consistent and it's uh, duplicatable, so it's laboratory type stuff. So as you turn the compressor shaft slower, 95,000 RPM, 80,000 RPM, you can see the compressor is really happy operating between 80,000, we'll call it 70,000 RPM and 95,000 RPM. As we operate past 95,000 RPM, we start to come off that efficiency island. So now that you know what these shaft speed numbers represent, let's talk about some common sensors that are on these diesel trucks that help the truck understand where it's at on this map. Which, by the way, this map lives in the ECU. The truck knows it exists. Think about that. Okay, so most trucks these days have mass airflow sensors. They're located in the intake track of the truck. They measure airflow coming past the air filter, and they can tell how much air goes into the engine, into the turbocharger. So mass airflow, relatively easy to measure. The sensors last a long time. They're not uh, terribly expensive. Pressure ratio. That's a good one. So that's MAP divided by barrow. So you need a MAP sensor and a barrow sensor. Manifold air pressure or discharge air pressure one of those two, and barometric pressure. So it's the ratio between those two things. If you know both of those, you can find the ratio. Turbo shaft speed. It's a little bit more expensive of a sensor. Uh, Cummins, the whole set turbocharger, is the only one that I know of from the factory in, these, in this range of vehicles that uses a shaft speed sensor. It's really neat to see, though. Uh, the nice thing about the shaft speed sensor is it's great for reliability because you, you know from the factory what the limit is of the turbocharger as far as shaft speed goes. And as soon as that shaft speed sensor sees the turbocharger is near that limit, it can cut fueling or can open the vane cage up a little bit 
get rid of some of that drive pressure. So you can really run the turbocharger right close to the end of its threshold and keep the thing happy. Not a sensor you see a lot, but it does exist. How about efficiency? Can we measure efficiency? First look, you might say no. But if you know ambient air temperature and you know the pressure of the air coming out of the compressor and you know barometric pressure, you can find efficiency because you know how much extra heat is being introduced by understanding the temperature of the air coming out of the discharge. So compressor outlet temperature, a real good sensor for reliability. Once that compressor outlet temperature starts to get into the red, usually somewhere around 365 to 390 degrees, um, that you'll start to see some safeties come in on the truck and start to pull things back a little bit. So if you know, if you know uh, two or three of these variables, usually you can model the third or the fourth. Um, so kind of an interesting thing. So the truck, you know, depending on which model or which brand you run, you're going to have different versions of these sensors or a different sensor package. The goal of the truck really is to understand where on the map it's operating so that it can understand how close it is to the safety limit of the turbocharger. We talked about this a little bit earlier. If we keep the truck under its safe shaft speed, we can keep the turbocharger alive a lot longer. If you go past the safety threshold of the turbocharger, that is run it way out here, 160, 170,000 RPM plus, it's a good way to dramatically shorten the turbocharger's life. What about this line here? We haven't talked about this one. So this line here, is called the surge line. And that line is drivability. If you move this much air at a pressure higher than this, higher than, call it a pressure ratio of three and 36 pounds of air per minute, you're gonna cross this line. You don't wanna cross that line. It's called the surge line. When you cross that line, the compressor goes into surge and you hear a flutter. That flutter, not only is it terribly inefficient for the compressor, but it's also really hard on the bearings. When you have that flutter, you can significantly degrade the life of the turbocharger, and you also get really bad drivability. Well, well can I move this line over a little bit? Can I, you know, one of the questions from the producers was, well, can I just change this? Well, these graphs are all drawn up about the shape and the size and the blade count of the compressor. So yeah, you can change this. In fact, you hear extended tip technology or 11 blade compressor, that kind of stuff. And what that stuff does is widen the map. So we move the surge line over here and we dramatically increase the usable range of the turbocharger. I'm not gonna say, um, we'll call this extended tip technology or 11 blade. Um, there's, there's a anti-surge. There's a bunch of things that you can do with turbochargers to widen the surge line, keep them out of surge. Is it going to make the turbocharger a bunch more efficient over here? Probably not terribly, but it's at least going to keep the bearings happy if you do happen to drive the turbocharger over there. If you add uh, 10 millimeters to the inducer size, you move this whole map to the right and up. If you take 10 millimeters away, you go this way. So, you know, anything you do to the compressor really changes the map dramatically. And it's important to know that, you know, 
no turbocharger design is without compromise. Um, there's an efficient curve. There's certainly a way to get to maximize all the inputs to try and get the best you can out of this thing, but none are without compromise. There's no way I can draw a square around this thing and write a hundred in here and tell my, you know, compressor computational program to figure out a compressor that makes this whole damn thing 100% efficient and build it for me. It just isn't going to happen. Let's talk about performance. Now, performance is really high boost and high airflow. On this map, it's not a terribly efficient range, but we might change the compressor design to make a little bit more efficiency over here, or we might operate the truck right here at 390 horsepower. So that the compressor designer is going to choose a more favorable area as they design the compressor so that the efficiency island is moved towards that peak power number. Now, on an engine that's designed to operate from you know, 100 horsepower up to 400 horsepower, you have to make some compromises there. You're not always going to be able to run on a 76 island. But the more you can keep those high islands in the operating range of the engine, the better off you're going to be. But as you run in those high-performance areas, the truck's going to always be on this threshold of what is safe. So especially as you have high, t high heat, high temperatures, maybe you're running at high altitude, the closer that the truck knows as far as uh, safety inputs, so what is shaft speed, what is compressor outlet temperature, can we model those things? So if we don't have a compressor outlet temperature uh, sensor, maybe we have a shaft speed monitor, and we know boost, and we know mass airflow. So I can reliably say that the compressor outlet temperature can be modeled to be really freaking hot, okay? And if I know that, I can say, okay, we want to avoid that temperature, but I can reliably run right up next to it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So it's, if the truck can model those things more clearly, it can get more out of the turbocharger. The turbocharger can be used more versatilely. Before we wrap this up, I just want to talk about clean. And clean is really about understanding airflow of the engine. So if we know where the truck is operating on this efficiency range, and we can reliably model mass airflow because we know pressure ratio and we know shaft speed, then we can say, well, that's how much mass airflow we should have. And guess what? If the mass airflow sensor doesn't show that, we can set a diagnostic alarm that isn't necessarily designed to annoy you, but it's designed to let you know, hey, you have a boost leak. Your truck is not performing the way it should, and you should fix it. You should maintain it. But if we know that airflow number, then we can keep the truck clean by matching the fuel rate to it, so keeping it within its stoichiometric limits. All that makes for a longer-lasting truck that's more reliable, it's more pleasant to drive, and something that can tell you immediately when it's having a problem, which is really nice instead of driving 20 or 30,000 miles and filling up your intake track with soot or sooting out the guy behind you or ruining your DPF. Clearly, there's a lot you can take away from a compressor efficiency graph. It really takes a lot of inputs from the truck and uses this model and, and lets us figure out where we are and why we're there and how to get the most out of things. I hope you enjoyed this segment of Diesel Insights. I'm Nick Pregnance with DuramaxTuner.com. We'll see you next time. I did a video yesterday after seven years of doing videos with us. It yeah. took me 25 takes to get one sentence out.